we talked to a very proud mum last week on Afternoons whose daughter Alison Thompson is doing amazing things with the relief effort in Haiti. Alison has such an incredible story. We were sent an email she'd written to her mother that had been circulating around Australia about the situation in Haiti and people were very affected by it. We were very affected by it. And Alison joins us from Haiti now where she's just attended a church service. Hi Alison, thank you so much for making time for us. I'm actually standing over at the top now and it's looking over 100,000 people in their tents and at around 6 o'clock they have a beautiful spiritual service and they sing and praise God and look up into the sky and, and about how tomorrow is going to be a better day and they'll be saved. It's so beautiful because they're so spiritual and they nothing and they're just so, just nothing and then to, to still hold on to their faith, you know, it's very, it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, I can imagine it would be. Look... Can you tell us some of uh, some of what you've been doing in Haiti up till now? Oh, so much. Every day it's different. Like, well, first of all, I've been running, um, just helping run this camp of a hundred thousand people, and we have a medical center at the very top with the real critical patients. They come about three or four hundred a day. Then we have two medical centers down in the village, which each treat about four or five hundred a day. Then we have strike force. We go out with the 82nd Airborne and we go out in the hummers in the streets because the people are sick. They're not getting to the centers and the hospitals. They're rotting in the streets. And a lot of wounds, a lot worse than tsunami, um, a lot of wounds that maybe had a, had a little treatment once with a group that came through, but then there's, you open up these bandages and they're septic and they're amputations, you know. So we find them every day. Today we found about 700 and uh, and pretty critical the ill people and so we do that every day and like yesterday we stumbled across 2,000 orphans who were just living in the streets and they were full of parasites and worms and and eating dirt you know like just really every day I see something worse than the day before so like, every day I say this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life and I've seen a lot of bad stuff but then the next day I see something even worse so yes I mean, the people are beautiful. It's safe here for people to come. People in the outside world are scared of coming because they hear about all the, maybe the small looters over there and there. But the people are really beautiful, but they're just really hungry. So when you do turn up somewhere with food, it, they do get a little aggressive and mob the trucks, if you, you know. But we've been doing okay because we have the 82nd Airborne with us, so the military presence makes them calm down in lines. But I know a lot of the other aid groups are having a lot of trouble giving out food. It's, it's scary. It's really scary. Can you describe it for us? It's uh, it's just it sounds so enormous. It's it's hard to imagine. People just have sheets. They don't have tents or anything. And in one corner, you can sort of hear the voodoo way off. The small group that do voodoo and the witch doctors. And in the far distance, you can hear this spiritual singing. And then in the other direction, the spiritual singing. But as the night goes on, it gets dark. And as the drinking progresses, like around two in the morning, then you start hearing the crying and the rapes. You know, but there's nothing you can do. Like standing up here in the mountain, you can't go down. To interfere, you know. Is there a lot of crime? Well, just you know, when you've got a crowd of hundred thousand people, wherever you are in the world, sure. you're going to have oh. a bad, a couple of few bad ones, but most of them are just really beautiful people. It's just always those odd ones, you know. This this long, I guess, after the earthquake, are there and there's still people that are so badly injured that haven't received medical help. Is that is that is that overwhelming for you? Do you feel? Yeah, it just feels too big. It's just. Too big, you know. I, I mean, it could only concentrate in a certain area to only help a certain amount of people. But then I just see new areas and new areas, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's just too big. It's like millions of people, and they've moved, they've come from all over in the countryside, their small towns, so they know there's aid and help 
around here, but I get messages people 50 meters from the airport who are starving. You know, it's just, just too many people, and it's so hard to give out food, and that's, we're still in the critical food and water. It's not even moving up to, you know, all the other things like clothing and all that. It's still, it's just big. Is that the bulk of what, you, what you're doing now? Is it getting food and, and um, helping people with shelter? Um, no, we do a number of things. I, I run the medical. I oversee it and just make sure we have enough doctors and nurses and try to organize that side. Sean and Oscar, they try to find, they find new satellite camps, which are new areas with smaller contained areas which are starving. So they try to do drops of rice and everything with the military. And so they focus on that. And Sean's been implementing, um, it's hard to get drugs into this country especially um, narcotics and things. So he's been really helpful in getting that to the main hospitals and racing all over the place. He's been working so hard. He's exhausted. But he's um, he get, he's bought two x-ray machines in, got them flown in straight away and got them to the hospitals. And he's just he's doing things like that. And you're referring, of course, to Sean Penn. Uh, he's uh, obviously a very well-known yeah. Hollywood actor, but he, he's on the on the ground. Everybody wants to help. He's, he's, just, he's just here as a volunteer. Just as he went down to Katrina with a friend, um, and just got his hands dirty and he saved a lot of people and that's why he doesn't even like publicity or photos or anything because people go always oh, just do the publicity no he doesn't like press and stuff and you know he's just here to help and, and he's just working his guts out every day racing sick babies here and rescuing people and he's doing an amazing job and you know and he's just working really beautifully with the army they've just formed, we've formed this real good connection together and, and just just working together and it's, it's working, you know, we're cutting through all the bureaucracy and just we get our aid straight in, the military helps get it in and they deliver it to us and we're just sort of cutting through the corners and filling in the gaps where, which, you know, aren't being addressed. I guess is that, um, I mean, that's what, what you need, I suppose, is that people prepared to work their guts out and cut corners. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what it is because the aid business is just stuck. It's just stuck in chaos and bureaucracy. I've seen it over and over in every disaster and it's it's got to change because it's just, it's a mess. It's, it's chaos. There's no one really in charge, and everyone's just doing their own thing. And you've, um, as you say, it's not it's not the first project that you've worked on. You were in Sri Lanka helping in the aftermath of the tsunami um, a, a while ago, and you were in New York on September the 11th in 2001 when the World Trade Center was attacked. How, how did you come to be there? Oh, I was just uptown. I was, and I got my rollerblades and a little medical kit, and I rollerbladed downtown like eight miles, and just got in there and started helping save people and whatever and then the building started to fall on us and we ran away and then we just lived in the streets collecting the bodies and just staying down there and I really learned there's a space for the volunteer you don't have to be an organization or with the disasters are getting so big that it's not just governments and organizations they have their great roles too but there's room for the volunteer to get in and give someone a hug or hand out water you know you don't need many skills it's really common sense and that's what our group here is we're just volunteers bunch of 12, 15 doctors at a time and we just get out there and help. We're not stuck in rules and we have to write 20 emails to build a toilet or anything. We just get out there and work. And there is there is a lot of space for volunteers to, to come and help. And you went to Sri Lanka to help the, um, the survivors of the, the tsunami there. How, how was that different to the situation that you were? Um, different. Well, Haiti... Haiti, the whole city is wiped out. There's sort of nowhere to go and get goods and do this and do that, whereas Sri Lanka was the whole coastline, but the big main city wasn't affected. Whereas this whole infrastructure is wiped out and the, the government's in a shambles and a mess and they're, they all need aid and help. And 
So we don't just don't really feel the presence of the government really doing anything. They're they're down. Their police are down. Their police have died, and they're you know. So it's and and the tsunami got killed or you didn't, and there were there were injuries, but I've never seen anything like the injuries here. Like amputations were every three minutes. Just you know, no painkillers and holding them down and chainsaws and then just sores and just crazy stuff. And and I just never seen so many people with deep deep wounds and. And they're not being treated. You know, we're finding areas even today where they haven't had help or they've had help, but someone hasn't looked at that bandage in two and a half, three weeks, you know. And and we're finding outbreaks of TB in areas, meningitis, from tetanus. Just every day there's just a new new thing. Um, but there's also beautiful things going on here too with newborns every day. You know, the beautiful spiritual music every night. And that's how we found this camp. We were living in the jungle. And we just kept hearing this singing. And it was 50,000 people singing. I thought it was a church. So I'm stumbling around. And we find the army. And they're like, oh, there's no church. But we, we talked our way in. And then from there on, that, the camp grew. And they let us stay. And we've been working together. They took us up on the big helicopters today. We went up uh, with all the pilots. We delivered goods and medicines way up in the north. The camp Haitian. So we've been working together and it's been a really good experience. Where do you find the strength? Most of us, I think, are finding what we see in the media, on the television, just so hard. You just, I guess, instinctively almost want to turn away. That probably sounds awful to, to you when you're right in the middle of it. But how, where do you find the strength? Um, I do have faith in God. I believe in God. I don't like pushing religion on anyone, but I have been through so much that I believe there is a God. But also I've just learned over the years unconditional love and it always does win out in the end. In Tsunami we when they you know, we just give them love and they started to turn on us after the fourth, fifth month. That'll happen here too. The anger will start. Once they come out of shock the real anger will start because the aid's not getting here, the money won't get here. It's the same old story. They'll turn on each other, they'll start to turn on us. And in Tsunami they, they did turn on us. They tried to kill us. They broke my dog's legs and that but we kept loving them and giving them unconditional love and and in the end they were confused and they're like, How come they're still loving us when we're hating them now? And and then they, in the end, they got on their feet and they kissed our feet and said, we're so sorry. And that. So unconditional love, I believe, wins out in the end. And we need that for these people because this situation here was fourth world way before the earthquake, you know. So it's it's just been, you know, multiplied a hundred times because of the wounds. You know, they could they could live without the food and water before, but with these crippling wounds, that's that's the hard part. Can you see no, a, an end point? Yes, Alison. Are you planning to stay there at, at this stage? Is is it indefinite? <laughs> I get asked this every day. Well, I went to the tsunami for two weeks, and then we were there for two years, and we're still there running a tsunami center. So I don't know what else. Now, when are you leaving? When are you leaving? And I I can see at least another three four months, but you know it could be a year or I don't I just don't know. I just you can't leave them like this. Oh, no, the no, starting. Yeah, I mean, how long does it take them to get get back on their feet with that, or to begin to look like they're getting back on their feet in a in a situation? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, no, that's a big big job because yeah. there's not really land or anything. You go down through the streets, it's like a war zone. We've got people back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and they're just like, wow, they've never seen areas like that. Like, and and it's just as everything's balancing. Half the buildings are just balancing. So if there's a as soon as the rain starts. It's, there's no earth, it's just sand and dirt because they've been, it's just, those buildings are going to come down and there's going to be another wave, you know. It's just a lot of problems ahead and I'm just not ready to leave here. No, of course. Look, you're an incredible person. People will hear this, I think, and just really want to 
to help and you know have wanted to help what what can they do is there anything practical people can do from here well the thing i've learned is not to just flood the country not to flood money everywhere because it's a long 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 rebuilding process and if you do raise money maybe just hold on to it a little bit and so you can work out where it's going because in tsunami it was locked in bank accounts everywhere and they didn't know where to send it to the groups that work really well are the smaller NGOs and smaller church charity groups. They work really, they work really well. And uh, but just think about it. If you can find some contact of someone they know on the ground that they actually can get their goods to, or or some connection, rather than just quickly racing it all off, because it's, it's going to be the money's going to be needed for quite a while. And I don't know. Anyway, there's, there's many different ways you can do it. John started up a foundation called the Sean Penn Foundation, but we're just sort of getting that up and running. So I'll have more information on that soon. Um, and that money, donations for that go straight to the people. Like Sean is very honest and very direct and all about just getting out there and getting the money straight to the people. So he's buying tents and this and filling medical centers and he's doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, he said it sounds like an incredible person as well. Look, Alison, um, we, won't, uh, we won't keep you. It sounds like you have better things to do than talk to us, but thank you very much oh. for taking the time. Uh, it's important to get the word out, and it's not—it's safe here for people to come and come and help. You know, it is safe. And the people are spiritual and beautiful, and they need help. And they sing out every night. You can hear them singing out for the world to help them. Well, thank God, people <laughs> like you are there. Yeah.